Hello and welcome to the Harvard EdCast, a series of conversations with thought leaders from across the country and around the world. I'm your host, Matt Weber, and we're here with someone who needs no introduction, but allow me these few lines. He is an orator, activist, luminary alchemist of all things political, critical, Levitical, in a world he fills with love, graces from above, the people he is of. This interview has begun. Welcome, Reverend Jesse Jackson. Good to be with you today. Uh, it's an exciting time to be on this campus during this tumultuous season as we celebrate African American History Month. And part of what distinguishes this celebration is that our country is made up of the Native Americans who were invaded and wiped out through genocide in a greater measure, uh, those who are uh, immigrants who came looking for a better life, uh, refugees who came out of desperation. Uh, and the enslaved, the African people. Uh, no one else in this country was enslaved as a matter of law, as a matter of constitutional and military law. It gives our struggle distinction, and because it was such an ugly period, it was hardly, it's hardly been written about or understood how it manifests itself today. I heard several times during the election season but our democracy is 240 years old, referring to 1776 at the signing of the Declaration of Independence. We had been here 157 years before that, so that was slaveocracy, where we had no rights, no recognition. We couldn't own land, we couldn't own ourselves. We were enslaved, we were the commodity for the commodity exchange. And then when the Declaration of Independence was written, we were three-fifths human by certain legal limited definition, and gave, became engaged in the Civil War to save the Union and to free ourselves. And then that was one stage of our struggle. The next stage was the stage of Jim Crow, so akin to slavery, but worse than slavery, and it, it was more violent. And slavery was an interest in the slave master, then you make other little slaves. But once we became empowered through our freedom, 5,000 blacks were lynched between 1880 and 19, in 1940 without one uh, indictment. Then the right to vote, the, the reestablished right to vote, the protected right to vote in 1965, which uh, Attorney General Sessions calls intrusion on states' rights, and it in fact is spending all rights. And so now here we are today out of slavery out of legal segregation with the right to vote, but free but not equal, which raises questions about what constitutes equality. That means access to capital and industry and technology and deal flow. It raises a different set of questions. One, for example, capital. Where are the pension monies uh, and the endowments? And who is managing them and where are they being invested? Harvard has maybe the largest endowment, maybe 30 plus billion dollars uh, in the African-Americans managing any of that money? I think not. And if so, who are they investing in? So we need to know in every state, what is the endowment numbers, the pension numbers, whether it's union pensions or church pensions or university pensions or hospital pensions, because those are significant sources of resource that determine, in some measure, the flow of the economy. It's a great way to start off this discussion in, in the sense that the, the, 
in a striving for equality, there is certainly a lot right now that our listeners, mostly educators, can do within the field of school, within education. And I'm just curious some of your thoughts on how you see education factoring into that sort of growth, inequality, and equity. Well, poverty is a weapon of mass destruction. It limits one's capacity to dream, therefore one's capacity to think. Sometimes dreaming is a source of stimulation for the imagination. Uh, many students on this campus are subsidized by endowments. Most of those in African-American colleges are subsidized by Pell Grants. And that's the opposite end of the, of the spectrum. And so we, many of our freedom allies, those who are against indecency and barbarism, we can't use a toilet, can't sit side by side in the restaurant, they're against barbarism. We are not for equality which involves equity and parity. That's why discussing, on this campus, there was a big discussion about the investment of Harvard in South Africa during the apartheid struggle. But since that time, there's not been much discussion about where is that money? Who is managing it? Where is it being invested? And that's true for, as I said, for SEIU and AFSCME and labor organizations and church and university and corporations and states because those are sources of capital that properly invested can help to address, address the issue of, of business development and affordable housing and health care and the like. The name of your discussion today is uh, Threads of Diversity, and I know it's extra special, too, because uh, you're, uh, am I wrong, and your goddaughter is a member of the Ed School community. Tell us a little bit about what she does well, and how it ties Sarah, in. Sarah, part of her work in, in her developing season was that of making quilts quilts for peace and, and, and jobs and justice and the like. But the point I made in the speech back when I was running for the presidency was that each of us represents some dimension, as it were, of a quilt. We may be white or black or brown, or patches of a quilt may be rayon or cotton or nylon, or high, whatever it is, it's beautiful. There's not enough of it to cover your body. When you take all those patches, which are part of just rags, Together, they have become a quilt, a thing of art and beauty, functional, that can provide warmth and can provide cover. And so, in some sense, that becomes our challenge. We've learned the survival part, like rags or patches. We must now learn to live together and become a quilt and therefore have functional, functional value. Um, many of us in this heterogeneous society have various narratives. The Chinese Exclusion Act is a big deal to Chinese. They have an appreciation of what it means to be locked out in that way. Are the Japanese internment camps? It's a narrative for them. Are the, the border struggle with the Mexicans? And we co-opted much of their territory, Texas and California. Are the Holocaust, what it means to Jewish people? And are the slave ships, what it means to African-American people? We must somehow take these narratives and find common ground. And we've survived apart. Now we must learn to live together. That becomes a big American challenge and opportunity. Reverend Jesse Jackson, thank you so much for appearing on the EdCast, and thank you for your wisdom and advice today and over the years. Thank you. This has been the Harvard EdCast, a production of the Harvard Graduate School of Education. I'm your host, Matt Weber. Thank you kindly for listening.